Psycho-Cybernetics by Maxwell Maltz, Chapter 6, with Study Guide. Relax and let your success mechanism work for you. Stress has become a popular word in our language. We speak of this as the age of stress. Worry, anxiety, insomnia, stomach ulcers have become accepted as a necessary part of the world in which we live in. Yet, I am convinced that it does not have to be that way. We could relieve ourselves of a vast load of care, anxiety, and worry if we could but recognize the simple truth that our Creator made ample provisions for us to live successfully in this day or any other age by providing us with a built-in creative mechanism. Our trouble is that we ignore the automatic creative mechanism and try to do everything and solve all our problems by conscious thought or forebrain thinking. The forebrain is comparable to the operator of a computer or any other type of servo mechanism. It is with the forebrain that what we think, I, and feel, or our sense of identity. It is with the forebrain that we exercise imagination, or set goals. We use the forebrain to gather information, make observations, and evaluate incoming sense data from judgments. But the forebrain cannot create. It cannot do the job to be done any more than the operator of a computer can do the job. It is the job of the forebrain to pose problems and to identify them. But by its very nature, it was never engineered to solve problems. Don't be too careful. Yet, this is precisely what modern man tries to do, solve all his problems by conscious thought. Jesus said, which of you by taking thought can add one cubit unto his stature? Dr. Norbert Weiner tells us that man cannot even perform such a simple operation as picking up a pen from a table by conscious thought or will. Because modern man does depend almost entirely on his forebrain, he becomes too careful, too anxious, and too fearful of results. And the advice of Jesus to take no thought for the morrow or of St. Paul to be careful in nothing is regarded as impractical nonsense. Yet this is precisely the advice that William James, Dean of American Psychologists, gave us years ago, if we would but have listened to him. In his little essay, The Gospel of Relaxation, collected in his book on vital reserves, he said that modern man was too tense, too concerned for results, too anxious. This was in 1899, and that there was a better and easier way. If we wish our trains of ideation and volition to be copious and varied and effective, we must form the habit of freeing them from the innovative influence of reflection upon them, of egotistical preoccupation about their results. Such a habit, like other habits, can be formed. Prudence and du duty and self-regard, emotions of ambition and emotions of anxiety have, of course, a needful part to play in our lives. But confine them as far as possible to the occasions when you are making your general resolutions and deciding on your plans of campaign, and keep them out of the details. When once a decision is reached and execution is the order of the day, dismiss absolutely all responsibility and care about the outcome. Unclamp, in a word, your intellectual and practical machinery and let it run free, and the service it will do you will be twice as good. Victory by Surrender Later, in his famous Gifford Lectures, collected in the varieties of religious experience, James cited example after example of persons who had tried unsuccessfully for years to rid themselves of anxieties, worries, inferiorities, guilt feelings by making conscious efforts only to find that success finally came when they gave up the struggle consciously and stopped trying to solve their problems by conscious thought. Under these circumstances, said James, the way to success as vouched for 
by innumerable authentic personal narrations is by surrender. Passivity, not activity. Relaxation, not intentness, should be now the rule. Give up the feeling of responsibility. Let go of your hold. Resign the care of your destiny to higher powers. Be genuinely indifferent as to what becomes of it all. It is but giving your private convulsion self a rest and finding that a greater self is there. The results, slow or sudden, are great or small, of the combined optimism and expectancy, the regenerative phenomena which ensue on the abandonment of effort remain firm facts of human nature. The Secret of Creative Thinking and Creative Doing Proof of the fact that what we have been saying is true can be seen in the experience of writers, inventors, and other creative workers. Invariably, they tell us that creative ideas are not consciously thought out by the forebrain thinking, but come automatically, spontaneously, and somewhat like a bolt out of the blue when the conscious mind has let go of the problem and is engaged in thinking of something else. These creative ideas do not come willy-nilly without some preliminary conscious thought about the problem. All the evidence points to the conclusion that in order to receive an inspiration or a hunch, the person must first of all be intensely interested in solving a particular problem or securing a particular answer. He must think about it consciously, gather all the information he can on the subject, consider all the possibilities, courses of action. And above all, he must have a burning desire to solve the problem. But after he has defined the problem, seasoned his imagination the desired end result, secured all the information and facts that he can, then additional struggling, fretting, and worrying over it does not help, but it seems to hinder the situation. Henry Freire, the famous Swiss scientist, said that practically all his good ideas came to him when he was not actively engaged in work on a problem, and that most of the discoveries of his contemporaries were made when they were away from their workbench, so to speak. It is well known that when Thomas A. Edison was diamond by a problem, he would lie down and take a short nap. Charles Darwin telling how an intuitional flash came to him suddenly after months of conscious thinking had failed to give him the ideas he needed for the origin of species wrote, I can remember the very spot in the road, whilst in my carriage, when to my joy the solution occurred to me. Lennox Riley, Lore, former president of the National Broadcasting Company, wrote in the American magazine how ideas that helped him in business came to him. Ideas I found come most readily when you are doing something that keeps the mind alert without putting too much strain upon it. Shaving, driving a car, sawing a plank, or fishing or hunting, for instance, or engaging with some friend in a stimulating conversation. Some of my best ideas came from information picked up casually and entirely unrelated to my work. C.J. Suits, who was the chief of research at General Electric, said that nearly all the discoveries in research laboratories came as hunches during a period of relaxation, following a period of intense thinking and fact-gathering. Bertrand Russell wrote in his book, The Conquest of Happiness, I have found, for example, that if I have to write upon some rather difficult topic, the best plan is to think about it with great intensity the greatest intensity of which I am capable for a few hours or days, and at the end of that time, give orders, so to speak, that the work is to proceed underground. After some months, I return consciously to the topic, and I find that the work has been done. Before I had discovered this technique, I used to spend the intervening months worrying because I was making no progress. I arrived at the solution, none the sooner for this worry, and the intervening months were wasted, whereas now I can devote them to other pursuits.
Many creators report that they get their best ideas either in the shower, while walking along the beach, or otherwise being in or around water. Perhaps the flow of water leads to the flow of ideas. The other activity that often leads to creative insights is sleeping. If you have a question you like to answer or a project you're working on that you like to accomplish with greater ease, you can instruct your mind before going to bed to be open to useful information and to remember it upon awakening. Keeping a notepad and pen on your nightstand to record the insights as they come is a good idea. When you use this approach, you can quickly find yourself getting ideas that greatly surpass anything that comes to you while awake. You are a creative worker. The mistake we make is assuming that this process of unconscious celebration is reserved for writers, inventors, and creative workers. We are all creative workers, whether we are stay-at-home parents, school teachers, students, salesmen, or businessmen. We all have the same success mechanism within us, and it will work in solving personal problems, running a business, or selling goods, just as it will in writing a story or inventing. Bertrand Russell recommended that the same method be used in his writing be employed by his readers in solving their mundane personal problems. Dr. J.B. Ryan, the botanist and author of Extrasensory Perception in Parapsychological Frontier Science of the Mind, said that he was inclined to think that what we call genius is a process, a natural way in which the human mind works to solve any problem, but that we mistakenly applied the term genius only when the process is used to write a book or paint a picture. The Secret of Natural Behavior and Skill The success mechanism within you can work in the same way to produce creative doing as it does to produce creative ideas. Skill in any performance, whether it be in sports, in playing the piano, in conversation, or in selling merchandise consists not in painfully and consciously thinking out each action as it is performed, but in relaxing and letting the job do itself through you. Creative performance is spontaneous and natural, as opposed to self-conscious and studied. The most skilled pianist in the world could never play a simple composition if he tried to consciously think out just which finger should strike which key while he is playing. He has given conscious thought to this matter previously while learning and has practiced until his actions become automatic and habit-like. He was able to become a skilled performer only when he reached the point where he could cease conscious effort and turn the matter of playing over to the unconscious habit mechanism that is part of the success mechanism. Don't jam your creative machinery. Conscious effort inhibits and jams the automatic creative mechanism. The reason some people are self-conscious and awkward in social situations is simply that they are too consciously concerned, too anxious about doing the right thing. They are painfully conscious of every move they make. Every action is thought out. Every word spoken is calculated for its effect. We speak of such persons as inhibited and rightly so. But it would be more true were we to say that the person is not inhibited, but that person has inhibited his own creative mechanism. If these people could let go, stop trying, not care, and give no thought to the matter of their behavior, they could act creatively, spontaneously, and be themselves. When you set a goal, it's very important to keep in mind that most of the time you will be in journey mode. This means you will be focused on the process and the actions you need to take to get to where you want to go most of the time. If your goal is to climb Mount Everest and you're only thinking about being at the top, you jam your success mechanism in the present. You've got to take care of each step along the way. 
focused on the journey the majority of the time and occasionally once or twice per day when you visualize, tune into the goal, then get back into journey mode and simply turn your goal over to your subconscious or a success mechanism to guide you there without effort. People who want to improve their financial situation must heed the same advice. If you continually obsessed about where you are as well as where you want to be financially, you're less likely to get there. Program the goal, then get busy on the process. If you don't know the process yet, give yourself space to allow the process of how to come to you. The how will come to you when you're relaxed, not when you're tense or trying to force your way through the process. Five rules for freeing your creative machinery. Do your worrying before you place your bet, not after the wheel starts turning. I am indebted to a business executive whose weakness was roulette. For the above expression, which worked like magic in helping him overcome worry and at the same time function more creatively and successfully. I happen to quote him, the advice of William James mentioned earlier, to the effect that emotions of anxiety have their place in planning and deciding on a course of action. But once when a decision is reached and execution is the order of the day, dismiss absolutely all responsibility and care about the outcome. Unclamp in a word your intellectual and practical machinery and let it run free. Several weeks later, he burst into my office as enthusiastic over his discovery as a schoolboy who has discovered his first love. It hit me all of a sudden, he said, during a visit to Las Vegas. I've been trying it and it works. What hit you and what works, I asked. The advice of William James's. It didn't take too much of an impression when you told me, but while I was playing roulette, it came back to me. I noticed any number of people who appeared not to worry at all before placing their bets. Apparently, odds meant nothing to them. But once the wheel started turning, they froze up and began to worry whether their number would come up or not. How silly, I thought. If they want to worry or be concerned or figure odds, the time to do that is before the decision is made to place a bet. There is something you can do about it then. By thinking about it, you can figure out the best odds possible or decide not to take the risk at all. But after the bets are placed and the wheel starts turning, you might as well relax and enjoy it. Thinking about it is not going to do one bit of good and is wasted energy. Then I got to thinking that I myself had been doing exactly the same thing in my business and in my personal life. I often made decisions or embarked upon courses of action without adequate preparation, without considering all the risks involved in the best possible alternative. But after I had set the wheels in motion, so to speak, I continually worried or how it would come out, whether I had done the right thing. I made the decision right then that in the future I would do all my worrying, all my forebrain thinking before a decision was made. And that after a decision and setting the wheels in motion, I would dismiss absolutely all responsibility and care about the outcome. Believe it or not, it works. I not only feel better, sleep better and work better, but my business is running much smoother. I also discovered that the same principle works in 400 little personal ways. For example, I used to worry and fume about having to go to the dentist and other unpleasant tasks. Then I said to myself, this is silly. You know the unpleasantness is involved before you make the decision to go. If the unpleasantness is all that important to cause so much concern and not worth the worry involved, you can simply decide not to go. But if the decision is that the trip is worth a little unpleasantness and a definite decision is made to go, then forget about it. Consider the risk before the wheel starts turning. 
I used to worry the night before I had to make a speech at a board meeting. Then I said to myself, I'm either going to make the speech or I'm not. If the, if the decision is to make it, then there's no need in considering not making it or trying to mentally run away from it. I have discovered that much nervousness and anxiety is caused by mentally trying to escape or run away from something that you have decided to go through with physically. If the decision is made to go through with it, not to run away physically, why mentally keep considering or hoping for escape? I used to detest social gatherings and go along only to please my wife or for business reasons. I went, but mentally I resisted it and was usually pretty grumpy and uncommunicative. Then I decided that if this, the decision was to go along physically, I might as well go along mentally and dismiss all thoughts of resistance. Last night, I not only went to what I would formerly have called a stupid social gathering, but I was surprised to find myself thoroughly enjoying it. Form the habit of consciously responding to the present moment. Consciously practice the habit of taking no anxious thought for tomorrow by giving all your attention to the present moment. Your creative mechanism cannot function or work tomorrow. It can only function in the present today. Make long-range plans for tomorrow, but don't try to live in tomorrow or in the past. Creative living means responding and reacting to the environment spontaneously. Your creative mechanism can respond appropriately and successfully to present environment only if you have your full attention on present environment and give it information concerning what is happening now. Plan all you want to your future. Prepare for it, but don't worry about it. How you will react tomorrow or even five minutes from now. Your creative mechanism will react appropriately in the now if you pay attention to what is happening now. It will do the same tomorrow. It cannot react successfully to what may happen, but to what is happening. Live in daytight compartments. Dr. William Osler, author of A Way of Life, said that one simple habit which could be formed like any other habit was the sole secret of happiness and success in life. Live life in daytight compartments, he advised his students. Look neither forward nor backward beyond a 24-hour cycle. Live today as best you can. By living today, well, you do the most within your power to make your tomorrow better. William James commented on the same philosophy as a cardinal principle of both psychology and religion for curing worry, said of St. Catherine of Genoa. It is said that she took cognizant of, of things only as they were presented to her in succession, moment by moment. To her holy soul, the divine moment was the present moment. And when the present moment was estimated in itself and in its relations, and when the duty that was involved in it was accomplished, it was permitted to pass away as if it had never been, and to give way to the faces and duties of the moment which came after. Alcoholic Anonymous uses the same principle when they say, don't try to stop drinking forever, merely say, I will not drink today. Stop, look, and listen. Practice becoming more consciously aware of your present environment. What sights, sounds, odors are present in your environment right now that you are not conscious of. Consciously practice looking and listening. Become alert to the feel of objects. How long since you have really felt that pavement beneath your feet as you walk? The Native Americans and the early pioneers had to be alert to the sight and sounds of feelings of their environment in order to survive. So does modern man, but for different reasons. Not because of physical dangers, but because of the dangers of nervous disorders that come from confused thinking, from failure to live creatively and spontaneously, and to respond appropriately to environment. 
This becoming more aware of what is happening now and attempting to respond only to what is happening now has almost magical results in reliving the jitters. The next time you feel yourself tensing up, becoming jittery and nervous, pull yourself up short and say, what is there here and now that I should respond to that I can do something about? A great deal of nervousness is caused from unwittingly trying to do something that cannot be done here or now. You are then geared for action or for doing, which cannot take place. Keep constantly in mind that the job of your creative mechanism is to respond appropriately to present environment. Here and now, many times, if we do not stop and think about this, we continue to react automatically to some past environment. We do not react to the present moment in the present situation, but to similar events or out of the past. In short, we do not react to reality, but to a fiction. Full recognition of this and realization of what you're doing can frequently bring about an amazingly quick cure. Don't fight straw men out of the past. For example, a patient of mine became jittery and anxious in business meetings, theaters, church, or in any formal gathering. Groups of people were the common denominator. Without realizing it, he was attempting to react to some environment out of his past where groups of people were a significant factor. He remembered that when he was a child in elementary school, he had wet his pants and a cruel school teacher had caught him up in front of the class and humiliated him. He reacted with feelings of humiliation and shame. Now, one factor in the situation, groups of people, was reacted to as if it were the entire past situation. When he was able to see that he was acting as if he were a 10-year-old schoolboy, as if every gathering were an elementary school class, and as if every group leader was the cruel school teacher, his anxiety disappeared. Other typical examples are the woman who responds to every man she meets as if he were some individual man out of her past, the man who reacts to every person in authority as if he was some individual authority out of his past. Number three, try to do only one thing at a time. Another cause of confusion and the resulting feelings of nervousness, hurry, and anxiety is absurd habit of trying to do many things at one time. The student studies and watches TV simultaneously. The businessman, instead of concentrating on and only trying to do the one letter that he is presently dictating, is thinking in the back of his mind all of the things he should accomplish today or perhaps this week and unconsciously trying mentally to accomplish them all at once. The habit is particularly insidious because it is a seldom recognized for what it is. When we feel jittery or worried or anxious in thinking of the great amount of work that lies before us, the jittery feelings are not caused by the work, but by our mental attitude, which is, I ought to be able to do this all at once. We become nervous because we are trying to do the impossible and thereby making futility and frustration inedible. The truth is, we can only do one thing at a time. Realizing this fully, convincing ourselves of this simple and obvious truth, enables us to mentally stop trying to do the things that lie next and to concentrate all our awareness, all our responsiveness on this one thing we are doing right now. When we work with this attitude, we are relaxed, we are free from the feelings of hurry and anxiety, and we are able to concentrate and think at our best. The Lesson of the Hourglass Dr. James Gordon Gockley preached a sermon in 1944 called Gaining Emotional Poise, 
which was reprinted in the Reader's Digest and became a classic overnight. He had found through many years of counseling that one of the main causes of breakdown, worry, and all sorts of other personal problems was this bad mental habit of feeling that you should be doing many things now. Looking at the hourglass on his desk, he had an inspiration. Just as only one grain of sand could pass through the hourglass, so could we only do one thing at a time. It is not the job, but the way we insist on thinking of the job that causes the trouble. Most of us feel hurried and harried, said Dr. Gilkley, because we form a false mental picture of our duties, obligations, and responsibilities. There seem to be a dozen different things pressing in on us at any given moment. A dozen different things to do. A dozen different problems to solve. A dozen different strains to endure. No matter how hurried or harried our existence may be, said Dr. Gockley, this mental picture is entirely false. Even on the busiest day, the crowded hours come to us one moment at a time. No matter how many problems, tasks, or strains we face, they always come to us in single file, which is the only way they can come. To get a true mental picture, he suggested visualizing an hourglass with the many grains of sand dropping one by one. This mental picture will bring emotional poise, just as the false mental picture will bring emotional unrest. Another similar mental device that I have found very helpful to my patients is telling them, your success mechanism can help you do any job, perform any task, solve any problem. Think of yourself as feeding jobs and problems to your success mechanism as a scientist feeds a problem to a computer. The hopper to your success mechanism can handle only one job at a time. Just as a computer cannot give the right answer if three different problems are mixed up and fed in at the same time, neither can your success mechanism. Ease off on the pressure. Stop trying to cram into the machinery more than one job at a time. You can have many goals, but concentrating on just one at a time will help you accomplish far more than attempting to focus on many at once. Get the fire of desire started with them being single-minded about one goal and the flame will naturally spread to others without you forcing it. Number four, sleep on it. If you have been wrestling with a problem all day without making any apparent progress, try dismissing it from your mind and put off making a decision until you have a chance to sleep on it. Remember that your creative mechanism works best when there is not too much interference from your conscious eye. In sleep, the creative mechanism has an ideal opportunity to work independently or conscious interference. If you have previously started the wheels turning. Remember the fairy story, the elves and the shoemaker. The shoemaker found that if he cut out the leather and laid out the patterns before retiring, little elves came and actually put the shoes together for him while he was sleeping. Many creative workers have used a similar technique. Mrs. Thomas A. Edison has said that each evening her husband would go over in his mind those things that he hoped to accomplish the next day. Sometimes he would make a list of the jobs he wanted to do and the problems he hoped to solve. Sir Walter Scott is reported to have said to himself, whenever his ideas would not gel, never mind, I shall have it at 7 o'clock tomorrow morning. Vladimir Bukhachev, the Russian neurologist who is considered to be the father of objective psychology, said... It happened seven times when I concentrated in the evening on a subject which I had put into poetic shape, that in the morning I had only to take my pen and the words flowed as if it were spontaneously. 
I had only to polish them later. Edison's well-known catnaps were far more than mere respites from fatigue. In The Psychology of the Inventor, Joseph Rossman said, when stumped by something, he would stretch out in his Menlo workshop and half-dozing, get an idea from his dream mind to help him around the difficulty. J.B. Priestley dreamed three essays, complete in every detail, The Brookshire Beast, The Strange Outfitter, and The Dream. Frederick Temple, an Archbishop of Canterbury, said, All decisive thinking goes on behind the scenes. I seldom know when it takes place, much of it certainly during sleep. Henry Ward Beecher once preached every day for 18 months his method. He kept the number of ideas hatching, and each night before retiring would select an incubating idea and stir it up by thinking intensely about it. The next morning, it would have fitted itself together for a sermon. August Kaloui's discovery of the secret of the benzene molecule while he slept, Alo Loi's Nobel Prize winning discovery that active chemicals are involved in the action of nerves, and Robert Louis Stevenson's brownies, which he said gave him all his plot ideas while sleeping, are well known. Less well known is the fact that many businessmen use the same technique. For example, Henry Cobbs, who started his business in the early 1930s with a $10 bill and built a million-dollar mail-order fruit business, kept a notebook by his bedside to jot down creative ideas immediately upon awakening. Vic Parker arrived in America from Hungary with no money and unable to speak English. He got a job as a welder, went to night school to learn English, and saved his money. His savings were wiped out in the Great Depression, but in 1932, he started a small welding shop of his own, which he called Steel Fabricators, and which became a profitable million-dollar firm. I've discovered you have to make your own breaks, he said. Sometimes in my dreams, I get ideas for licking problems and wake up all excited. Many's the time I've gotten out of bed at 2 a.m. and gone down to the shop to see if an idea would work. Number five. Relax while you work. Practice exercise. In chapter four, you learn how to induce physical and mental relaxation while resting. Continue with the daily practice and relaxation, and you will become more and more proficient. In the meantime, you can induce something of that relaxed feeling and that relaxed attitude while going about your daily activities. If you will form the habit of mentally remembering the nice relaxed feeling that you induce. Stop occasionally during the day, it need only take a minute, and remember in detail the sensations of relaxation. Remember how your arms felt, your legs, back, neck, face. Sometimes forming a mental picture of yourself lying in bed or sitting relaxed and limp in an easy chair helps to recall the relaxed sensations. Mentally repeating to yourself several times, I feel more and more relaxed also helps. Practice this remembering faithfully several times each day. You'll be surprised at how much it reduces fatigue and how much better you are able to handle situations. For by relaxing and maintaining a relaxed attitude, you remove those excessive states of concern, tension, and anxiety which interfere with the efficient operation of your creative mechanism. In time, your relaxed attitude will become a habit and you will no longer need to consciously practice it. Study Guide Write down five key points to remember from this chapter. Your case history.
List an experience from your past that is explained by the principles given in this chapter.